know, keep a good personal brand and you show really the best version of yourself. I always go to an Onion article. If you haven't seen it, please <laughs> Google, I am a brand, says pathetic man. Hello, and welcome to the Del Barton Wave Connect podcast. What you just heard is an excerpt from when five Del Barton alums met up at Google headquarters to speak on a panel discussion. And with no further ado, here are those speakers. I want to welcome everyone. Thanks, everyone, for coming. Everyone that's watching uh, on the YouTube channel, we really do appreciate it. Um, Grant and I uh, met uh, about a couple months ago. And we start, well, we've known each other for a very long time, but we met here a couple months ago and we started talking about uh, some new ways that we could kind of get involved here uh, with the alumni community, uh, especially the younger alumni community. Um, and, you know, the obvious answer, I think, was networking. And networking sometimes is more um, than just, you know, having a couple drinks with your buddies. Uh, it's, it's a lot about making connections that can help people get jobs or change careers or advice or be a mentor. And I think that, you know, Del Barton, what a great place, what a great group of guys to, you know, facilitate those connections. So that's kind of where this uh, idea originated. Um, this one is, you know, more technology kind of focused, but it could be replicated for medical, lawyers, finance, uh, and kind of any community that uh, Del Barton guys find themselves in. So. Uh, we're going to go for about an hour here. I want to get started. Uh, I'm going to let you guys all kind of introduce yourselves, and if you could give like a you know 90-second, two-minute overview of what it is exactly that you do, and then we'll get into some some questions. And then we're going to we're going to have the last uh, 20 minutes where you guys can ask questions, and we'll take some questions online. Um, so yeah, let's start with uh, the man himself here, Grant here. Uh, I'll start with yeah myself. So Ryan Mareska, uh I work here at Google. Um, it is. Uh, it's a pretty great place to work. Um, I work in business development for Android Pay, formerly Google Wallet. Um, and I started working here about four years ago. I was out in California taking some classes, and I made some great connections uh, with some professors. And I interviewed for a really long time in California. The interview process here is it's arduous. Um, and I found myself working here in, in the New York office, and uh, you know I, I, I do very much enjoy it, and Google's a really great company and a really great place. So. Uh, I'm Grant Hewitt, I'm class of 2002. I um, had a relatively standard kind of career track. I went to Princeton after I graduated from Del Barton, went into finance, worked on a trading desk for about four and a half years, um, had started a sports apparel brand on the side as a little bit of a passion project, and realized that my passion really was in um, initially sports apparel, but really understanding brand and building brands in an e-commerce environment. So I uh, left my job on Wall Street to focus on this full time. That spun out into a number of different businesses, some that we still uh, retain. Two of them, uh, one is Hudson Sutler, which is an e-commerce brand that sells travel goods and things like that. Uh, another Streaker Sports, which is a sports apparel brand. We went through an acquisition um, earlier this year, so we have another, another team running that company. Um, we built out an event portfolio, again, all focused on branding, um, and we were able to actually take those events and sell out of uh, one of them entirely to a digital media platform based in La Los Angeles, and another one we still own a stake in um, that expanded uh, to sports events around pond hockey that's now expanded. It's the largest part of the largest pond hockey organizer in, uh, in North America. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm Chris Verone. Um, I'm class of 2002 as well. First, I want to thank Grant and Ryan for setting this up. Um, and to the other speakers, you know, I've, I've known everyone here as, as friends and peers, and um, it's uh, really a thrill for me to speak with you guys. And um, I think the other um, important thing about this gathering here is we're all from the same school, and it shows how important this network is. Um, I currently work at a firm called Strategus Research Partners. Uh, I'm one of the partners there. Uh, I started there back in uh, 2006. We are a Wall Street research firm. We do macroeconomic uh, and, investment, and investment strategy research for uh, hedge funds, mutual funds, uh, investment shops. And uh, I run the technical analysis uh, team there. Um, and I think, what's, um, I think what's useful and what I look forward to talking about uh, as we get going here is how uh, different mentors along the way, many of which were DeBarton students or DeBarton graduates um, kind of helped us all get to where we are. And I look forward to sharing that uh, information. 
Very cool. Uh, I'm Teddy Kingsbury, class of 2005. Um, I went to Washington Lee right after uh, right after high school. Um, got to pretend to be a country boy for a couple of years, which was fun. Um, I now work, I'm the head of business development for Damon John, who's most well known for being the CEO and founder of the uh, global urban fashion brand FUBU, and currently is a shark on the show Shark Tank on ABC. Uh, so I help him with uh, a whole bunch of stuff, whatever he wants to throw me that day, but mo mostly his, uh, his investments on the show, his investments outside the show, um, and then we have a consulting business where we work with different brands and celebrities for a whole bunch of different things from licensing to digital strategy, PR. Uh, so some of our clients are Damon himself, he's one of our clients, uh, work with uh, Carlos Santana, uh, Jillian Michaels, Jen Selter, she's a big, big person. <laughs> um, and then uh, a couple brands like Gillette, Capital One, Amex, a whole bunch of different people. So, yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Joe Colangelo, class of 2003. Um, wanted to also thank Ryan so much. Uh, what Ryan did here is really special. He saw a, a resource that he had, um, which was access and knowledge of this space and this facility and these connections to these people and he put it to work for Adele Barden. So uh, we all don't have to have enough money to you know, finance a new wing at Del Barden in order to make a really big difference. We just, we all have these unique you, You're saying I couldn't finance a... Yes, he's saying that. So uh, thank you very much, Ryan. This is really a, a terrific example. Uh, I graduated Del Barden in 2003, like I said. I went to Berkeley on a Naval ROTC scholarship. When I graduated Berkeley, I served four years in the United States Navy in San Diego. Uh, as I got out of there in 2000, and, uh, a year before I got out of there, I started Golden Coast Mead, which is, uh, some of you might have ha tried some of this before. Uh, it is a beverage made of honey that is alcoholic, um, and we just started distributing in New York. Uh, two years ago, a little over two years ago, I took over as the Executive Director for Consumers Research, which is the nation's oldest consumer organization. Cool. So um, I think for myself, it was super important. I've got a great mentor, um, someone that I could, you know, ask questions to and, you know, will give me just solid, honest advice. Um, I, I'm, I'm wondering, do you guys have mentors? And if you do, can you share a little bit about kind of what that's been like? Uh, yeah, uh, I'll start. Um, I think it's important not just to have one, but to have many and to have them at various points in your life. And when I think about the people who were instrumental um, in my life along the way, I first start with Del Barton, who was useful or who was um, or who had a big impact uh, on my life then. And uh, the guy I want to talk about for a second first, I'm sure many of you know or know of, but um, Brian Flory had a huge impact on my life from the minute I met him. And I think um, what I took away from um, the time that we shared together was that uh, much like the motto of the Barton, you know, life isn't always easy, you're gonna get knocked to the floor sometimes, but it's how you respond from those events that dictate uh, what you can achieve or where you can go. And I think the other important thing that, that Brian, um, not just instilled in, in me, but in many others, was uh, the importance of details, uh, the importance of presenting yourselves as a reflection of your family or your colleagues or your peers, how important that is in, um, how other people portray your level of seriousness or, um, or uh, you know, what you plan to accomplish. So um, early on at the Barton, he, he was certainly, I think, kind of the first guy that kind of gave me a little kick and uh, got me headed on a path. Um, I, the, the next guy who um, has really been instrumental for me uh, is currently, he's the chairman of my firm. His name is Jason Trennert. Um, he, uh, if you don't know him, um, he's someone worth looking into. He uh, runs our firm, Strategus. He's also the author of two very uh, popular and useful uh, investment books, um, a good resource uh, if you're new to the industry or new to the business. But what I always took away from, from Jason was um, how he wasn't born into Wall Street. And he came from a middle-class family in Long Island. He worked hard. He got himself accepted into a good college. And then he didn't get the job at Goldman Sachs. And he didn't get the job at J.P. Morgan. And he did not get the job at 
Morgan Stanley. He got the back office job at somewhere else. And it goes to show you that there are other routes to success. There are other routes um, to achievement. It's not always the Goldman Sachs route that gets you um, where you want to go. And he worked his way up from uh, a back office job to uh, eventually go to work for a firm called ISI, International Strategy Investment, which is really one of the premier uh, research shops on Wall Street. And then in 2006, uh, he thought it was time to start his own shop. Uh, I was working for him at the time, um, and we started Strategus uh, in 06. And I think along the way, what you realize is, especially when you're an entrepreneur and when you're starting a new business, um, and we have seen this with all our colleagues, is everyone wears a lot of hats. Um, there's a lot of jobs that, uh, that have to be done to uh, ensure the success of the company. And he's been very instrumental kind of in instilling the blue collar values, not just in me, but in uh, the entire organization. So I, I think the big picture is um, whether it's people you grew up with, whether it's people you work for, find mentors, uh, and don't be afraid to ask people to ask for their advice. Uh, people are flattered when um, you ask for their advice. And don't be afraid to go up the organizational change. Just because so-and-so is the head of so-and-so doesn't mean he doesn't have time for you or time to share uh, what he knows. People are generally flattered to do that. And I know um, these guys that sit next to me probably have all had similar experiences, and I'm anxious to hear uh, their views as well. Uh, sure, yeah, so obviously my boss, Damon John, is huge, huge impact on me. Uh, he, it's, it's been my first and only job out of college is working with him. Uh, started August after graduation and everything, so he has instilled an incredibly different mindset than what I think is taught in uh, even, you know, when I went to college, entrepreneurship was kind of this taboo thing of, you know, people would say, oh, I'm an entrepreneur, AKA I, I don't have a job and I'm just kind of messing around with some idea here. But uh, the idea of, you know, just go out there and do it. Just don't wait for anybody. You know, the ball isn't going to move unless you do. And, um, you know, he has this idea of this thing called the power of broke and this idea that, you know, you have tons of assets in your pocket. Um, you just aren't uh, really using them, you know, and even something like this, like Joe was saying, you know, um, here's an amazing resource of Google that we're all connecting. Um, and just looking into your, your network where you might not know a top celebrity if you're trying to get a brand out there, but you might know somebody out there who is connected a couple degrees. And really, it's one of those empty your pockets kind of moment, throw everything on the table and see see what you have. Um, but just you know, echoing that sentiment, I think the big thing about mentorship is a lot of people kind of make it too formal. They're kind of like, hey, can I be your mentor? Uh, or can you be my mentor? And it's a little too rigid rather than, and as somebody who's receiving that message, it's kind of, Oh man, what what kind of commitment am I signing myself up for? So, I think the biggest thing is just talking to as many different people, and you know, don't have a mentor, have many many mentors, and just bounce ideas. Even if it's, you know, I have this idea for a company, or I have this idea for a project. What do you think? Um, you know, obviously tapping into to Del Barton's resources has been amazing, and your college resources, and anybody you can really tap into is a a huge thing for sure. Yeah, I would echo that point. That last point very strongly. Having a number of mentors, I wouldn't say that I have any formal mentors, but I've, for years, I've made a point to keep in touch with people whose advice is gonna save, uh, save me a lot of time learning lessons the hard way. That's, that's kind of the way I view mentorship, is there are so many people that say, you know, if I knew now what I knew when I was 20 years old, God, I would have you know, avoided so many mistakes. Okay, well then maybe I should start trusting those people instead. So uh, the, the way that I got into consumers research was through a Del Barton connection that had been recommended to me, uh, you know, introduced to me by one of my good classmates. And we had kept in touch for two years before he came to me with a job opportunity. And it was a terrific job opportunity and I took it. But it wasn't, I was never looking for a job opportunity from him. I was just looking to have somebody that I could bounce ideas off of, that I could get, go to for advice. And I think one of the tricks is I enjoyed talking with him all the time. If I were on a drive, I would give him a call just to check in and see how it was going. And so it's kind of one of those things with networking. They would say, like, how do you, how do you in networking, 
convey that you're interested in the other person. It's like, well, you actually have to be interested. That's the easiest way to do it. Um, and if you're not, it's, it's not even worth your time pretending to be. So it's the same thing with mentorship. Find somebody who you actually respect, who you actually trust, and whose advice you'd be willing to take and who you want to talk to. Um, it was funny when we talked about mentorship. I actually, my initial <laughs> reaction was like, no, I don't have a mentor because I didn't have that rigid, like, we meet once a month and, and we talk about things. I actually find that I have a lot of peer mentors. Um, being in this small kind of startup brand space, um, a lot of guys who are older than me, younger than me, you know, have gone through, to your point, have gone through, through some things that are um, really, really valuable and really, really helpful. Um, I think it took me a little while to get over the thought that, like, no one wants to share their kind of secrets. Um, and it became very clear that, you know, if you, if you build a relationship two ways, um, people are certainly willing to not only share themselves, but then ask things of you as well. So I think my mentors actually tend to be <laughs> people sitting on the stage. Um, Joe, you kind of alluded to this, but I'm, I'm curious. What, five or ten years kind of into your career, what is a piece of advice that you wish you had right when you were starting? Or even in your career? Just yeah, what's no, something it, you know now that you wish you knew before? I would, I would say that the next, the next nine months are not the rest of your life. Um, so the people often kind of uh, have, have kind of too large of a discount rate on, on their future, on, on, the rest, on their next 40 years. And so don't, don't feel like you need to do the one thing that's going to change your life right now uh, if you have an opportunity to uh, continue moving in a forward direction. So uh, it, life is not always going to be 10 steps forward and then another 10 steps forward. Sometimes it's going to be five steps forward and two steps back, uh, but you're heading in the right direction. And don't don't take uh, five steps back in the hope that you're going to go 20 steps forward. Maybe that doesn't make sense, but offline I'm happy to share the per <laughs> personal stories that uh, are associated with that. <laughs> how, about, how about you guys? Well, g g give me give me something you wish you knew, like seven years ago. Um, I don't know if anyone read or heard. Uh, Cheryl Sandberg's eulogy of her husband when he passed away uh, a number of months ago. But one of the lines in the eulogy is, uh, when plan A doesn't work, kick the shit out of plan B. Um, I, I think that's a useful piece of advice, because plan A is not always going to work out. And um, you can keep your eye on plan A, but there's often a lot of detours. And I think the big mistake we can make sometimes is um, viewing those detours as an inconvenience rather than viewing those detours as an opportunity to find a better way or a new way. Um, I, I think there will be um, periods in all of our lives and uh, all of our, uh, ours included where something is not going to go as we forecasted it or something is not going to go as planned and how we adjust and adapt and the attitude with which we, uh, we um, adjust I, I think is more important than necessarily where the outcome may lead. I would say, I mentioned it before, but just you can actually do it, that just get the ball rolling, go out there. Um, you know, I think it, it kind of took me a little bit of time to think like, you know, when you're in school, whether it's high school or college, you have certain due dates or certain things that you, you need to do, or, you know, you can study your ass off on a test, but the best you're going to get is 100. Um, I think the complete opposite is, you know, you have to set certain goals for yourself keep going and you know there isn't a top for what you can do there's always something there to keep striving for so um, you know get that ball rolling and keep it going as fast as you can for for as long as you can I might just add to that um, particularly when you're first out of college what the paycheck says every week or every two weeks is the least important thing um, by a factor it, it's uh, you know it's it's it, it's it's nice to get a paycheck but when you're thinking about what you want to accomplish, um, that I think should be the least of your focus, at least initially. Find what you want to do. The, 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 um, I think the rude awakening sometimes is that your first job may not be the job that you like or may not be the job that you thought it would be. That's okay. Uh, adjust and adapt. But um, money, I think, is uh, especially when you're first out of school, is the least important thing that should be on your radar in terms of valuing your success or valuing your worth in what you're doing. 
Um, my advice actually kind of ties together the two things. I think um, I spend way too much of my time trying to make things like perfect <laughs> instead of just getting them done. Um, and I think I'm still guilty of it now, trying to make things perfect versus getting them done. But it's kind of trite and probably stitched on a number of pillows. But like, yeah, just just do it and fix it later. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I would echo Verone too. I wouldn't worry about a paycheck or a title or anything like that when you're starting. It you know it matters where you finish, uh, not where you start. Um, the, the interview question I think I hate the the most is uh, the five year question. Where uh, where do you see yourself in five years? Uh, I'm curious the opposite way. Where did you see yourself five years ago, uh, as compared to where you are now? And if you saw yourself where you are now, I mean that's that's cool too. But I I, w I wonder how much your vision has changed in the past five years. I uh, I initially saw myself as a, a platoon leader of a SEAL team, and that, that did not work out. Um, and that you know kind of ties into raise your hands. Uh, Anybody else here? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so I, th I think five years ago, I probably didn't see myself um, doing uh, what I'm doing now. I think maybe I was shooting for a senior manager, uh, you know, senior consultant at a consulting firm, something like that. Um, so the but I said yes to a lot of things that came my way in the meantime, and that's what kind of got me here. Yeah, I had no idea what it was going to look like. Um, you know. I graduated in 09 from undergrad and wasn't exactly the best year to graduate from school. Uh, kind of was, you know, it was one of those things where, myself included, all my friends, you have one idea of a job that you're going to go out to. And, uh, you know, I ended up working for the founder of FUBU. So, uh, you know, it's not exactly, I think five years ago, the show was struggling. It was like its second year, it barely got a second season, and the show kind of, you know, has uh, has been a lifeblood for a lot of the stuff that I've been doing. Um, so I think it's it's actually been way better than I thought it would be. I thought maybe you know the show will be on for two seasons and then I'll do something else. Maybe there's a Wall Street job I can get into or something uh, for some stability. But it was one of those things where I had no idea what was going to happen, and you know maybe kind of naively I was like, well, you know, I just graduated from school. I still have plenty of time to figure stuff out. Um, so it's been it's been a crazy up and down uh, sort of journey, but it's uh, definitely been a cool one for sure. Um, I might add to that. Um, maybe looking back ten years, I was graduating college. I was an uh, 06 Villanova graduate. I had no idea what I wanted to do come senior year, so I kind of punted and took that fifth year option, uh, <laughs> and uh, I got a master's <laughs> degree uh, out of it. But um, that took a little convincing. Um, and then I, I, I'm willing to guess 10 years ago, I couldn't have told you the difference between a stock and a bond. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I thought maybe I'd be a history teacher or a gym teacher or something along those lines. Uh, and I, I, I think what, what changed is, again, going back to the mentorship thing, there are people around you that expect more of you. And um, you start to see your, your peers and your friends aspire to certain things, and you start to aspire to those things as well. So. I did the whole, um, you know, tossed my resume out to every bank out there, and I don't think I got one phone call back or one email back. And, you know, that's when, um, that was maybe spring of 05 or something like that, and that's when I kind of went, went back home and went back to my roots and, uh, you know, made the, made the phone call to the Alumni Association at the Barton, had a meeting with Father Giles, talked about what I wanted to do, how I wanted to get there, um, and it's how he initially put me in touch with a fellow by the name of Don Rissmiller, who is currently a business partner of mine now, but he's the guy who initially hired me uh, at a firm called ISI. And it was this Del Barton network and this Del Barton relationship that I knew um, that I knew was there to take advantage of. Um, and, and not that you know anything here, and there's no handouts in 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 this world, but but we're fortunate to have people who genuinely care about the success of everyone in this room. And um, it, it was really instrumental in helping me kind of decide to take the first step and figure out what exactly it was that I wanted to do. Five years ago, I was convinced that Streaker Sports was going to be the next great vintage apparel brand, and we would have already sold to Under Armour by now. <laughs> um, that didn't happen. 
um, you know, and, and saw, uh, you know, I guess four and a half years ago, I was told by someone who was very smart and had made a lot of money in retail that that was never going to happen. Um, I still think there's an opportunity. Um, <laughs> uh, but saw, yeah, saw, you know, saw, um, saw another opportunity and, and pivoted and, and, um, and, you know, learned a lot from, from some of the kind of hurdles and trips that we had along the way. I think Teddy kind of hinted at this, but, uh, you know, the Delbarton motto is cut us down, we grow back stronger. So give me an example of kind of a moment where things were going not great and you had to kind of pull your way through it and, uh, you know, persevere. I'm, I'm curious to, you know, a time in your life when things weren't always as great as they are now. Um, I'll go first. This, uh, no, no, no example sticks out of my mind more clearly than this one. I had gotten out of the Navy, had a three-month-old son, moved to DC, my wife was in law school, and I found this amazing job. It was a startup that was for military and Groupon for military, and oh my gosh, it was terrific. It was gonna be the best thing in the world. Um, <laughs> I was so excited, I, I took over uh, national sales for them, and after 11 and a half months, uh, they laid off the entire sales team. And I had taken a pay cut for that, but I was equity focused. I said, you know, this is great. They're gonna, they're gonna raise more money. Everything's gonna be successful. And so, like, I was looking at, I kind of like built my entire uh, persona, my my life around this idea that I was not working for the man anymore. Like, I had been in the Navy for four years, and most people transition out and and they go to Booz Allen. And I was so focused on not going to a consulting firm. Um, but I, I mean, I, t I had two kids at that point, uh, and so I, j I went to Booz Allen, and it was terrific. I, I learned so much about consulting, and I, I always I treat Booz Allen as I think it would probably apply to a lot of other um, b uh, maybe banking jobs. So I know they're longer hours, but consulting jobs as kind of like a career incubator. So as you are. Um, trying to advance your own career, um, it's nice to have that paycheck so you're not scrambling. Um, they, they always say, you know, uh, somebody who interviews for a job who doesn't have a job, um, it's, you know, it's much, it, it's easy to tell that, that they don't have a job, uh, that they, they need one rather than somebody who has a job. So I went, it wasn't my ideal job. I was really not maybe happy on the day to day. And it kind of took a lot for me to say, I'm breaking away from my identity as the founder of Golden Coast Mead and the um, you know, full-time uh, startup head of sales to go and, and do this and do this every single day for uh, for almost a year, and and that was um, for me that was a really tough tough decision, and I, I think I came out of it a lot stronger. Yeah, I, I mean, it happens all the time. So one of the things I do is I work <laughs> with all Damon's Shark Tank investments from the show, and I kind of absorb a lot of uh, their problems sometimes. Uh, you know inventory problems or, you know, uh, random, random stuff that happens. Um, I don't know, I think for me personally, though, uh, and it's not to say that I haven't had, you know, struggles with all this stuff, but was, you know, graduating college, you'd think, well, cool, I went to, went to school for four years, there should be a job somewhere out there, and then you realize that's not the case. And there, there was one day I was with my parents, it was like a Tuesday in the summertime in August, and I'm hanging out with a bunch of three-year-old kids at like a pool or something. I'm like, this. I, I've had enough parent time right now. You know, <laughs> I need to, I need to go do some work. So I, I just started throwing my resume everywhere, everywhere, wherever I could. And um, and then I, I got this one random job posting. It said, CEO of fashion company has a new reality show, needs help. I'm like, perfect. That sounds promising. Let me go with that. So I threw it in. Didn't hear from anybody for a while finally get like a cryptic email can you be at uh, this interview at this time yeah I'm just hanging out with a bunch of three-year-olds no problem I'll definitely do that so I I'm in the Empire State Building I'm wearing a Brooks Brothers suit probably some kind of salmon tie and the elevator doors open and I see the FUBU sign and I'm like oh god damn it was this gonna how is this gonna turn out and um, ended up salmon, tie. salmon was good and um, <laughs> You know, it was one of those things where I had an opportunity. Damon's like, look, I got this show. I don't know how it's going to do. I need help managing all this stuff. And uh, I need you to work for free for a couple months. And I'm like, 
you know what, let me, let me do that. So I said, I'll intern for you for six months, completely for free. Uh, luckily had two brothers living in the city, so a lot of couch time there. And um, it was one of those things where you just, again, I've said it before, but you just gotta keep going. You know, throw opportunities out there as much as possible because you never know what might hit and the craziest, uh, you know, uh, sort of message or job opportunity might turn into something something really cool. So we are the companies that he has to deal with. <laughs> um, yeah, I think on a regular basis, uh, I'm dealing with a lot of failure that we have to learn from and move on. I actually think what's it's it's a really it's top of mind because it's relatively new, but we had a not a good situation regarding a product that we launched a couple months ago, but that since um, you know we learned our lesson, I think we've we've put some procedures in place to make sure we don't make those mistakes again. Um, but that actually since has led to uh, recently like one of our largest single days of revenue on the books, um, kind of an indirect tie to that specific failure. So um, I know exactly what Teddy's talking about in terms of having numerous cutdowns. <laughs> I would just add. Um and I spoke a little about this before, but you know, when you're 21 or 22 years old and people reject you, it stings, right? Uh, and it, it stings for people to say, well, you're not good enough to come work here, you're not good enough to come work here. Um, I, I think the more you can utilize that as motivation uh, or the more you can um, put the chip on your shoulder and say, well, watch what I do next or watch what I do now. Um, I think that's just an I, I think it's, while it's a simplistic attitude, I think it's an extremely useful kind of life tool. Um, as far as the broader picture, just by a function of what I do every day, um, markets are extremely humbling. Markets humble you every single day. And I think what I've had to learn, particularly as you get older, is just the realization that you're gonna probably be wrong more than you're right. Um, but it's adjusting to the environment when the facts change. I think there are uh, a lot of people in our industry who um, forget that the goal of the game is not to get 21, but to beat the dealer. And I think sometimes we focus too hard on getting 21 when the objective is just to beat the dealer. Uh, to Chris's point there, just to exemplify his chip on the shoulder, um, all I ever wanted to do is go to the Naval Academy my senior year at Del Barden. And when that was the last rejection letter I got, I took $200, which was a ton of money for me at the time. Uh, and framed all my rejection letters, and they still hang in my uh, home office on the wall. Wow, that's, that's good advice right there. <laughs> Frame your rejection letters. Um, cool, so I, I'm sure everyone here on the stage sees a lot of resumes and uh, does some hiring or you know, interviewing. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, two qualified people, person A and person B, what, what stands out for you when you're looking to, you know, hire someone at your company or someone that's going to work with you? What's what's something that, what's a piece of advice you could give to people that are out there that are interviewing or trying to change kind of what they do or sectors of what they do and go into something new? I would just add, it, um, we get a lot of resumes all the time and at some point it comes down between one person or one person. And I, I think it's it it's often very evident who the hungrier person is and that's often not the most qualified person. Um, I, I think we spend a lot of time, probably too much time, focusing on where you went to college, um, you know, what your last name is, all these things that, at the end of the day, really have very little weighting in whether or not you're gonna be a good employee or a good hire. Um, we try to hire the person on who's the hungriest, who needs this the most, who wants this the most. And I think that comes across in a lot of different ways. I'd say, number one, um, particularly after we first interview someone, um, there are those that send you handwritten notes and then there are those that send you emails. The people who send the handwritten notes get put into a different pile. They get put into the pile, hmm, this, this kid took the time to write me a note and put it in the mail, I wanna have him back. Even if that first interview wasn't that great, um, it shows a certain care for, um, it shows a certain discipline and a certain care that this person wants to be part of a team. And uh, we look at little details like that, I think, as um, a broader reflection of your character and how hungry you are. Um, I also like people who just beat down my door. I like people who we say no to, who come back and come back and come back and come back and almost make you hire them. Um, that's what we look for 
and I, I would guess, or I, I, I would say, the times we've, we've, we've had bad hires, the times we've erred, is because we hired the person who we perceived was just the most qualified, and we kind of ignored all the other stuff. And we said, you know what, he went to Princeton, no offense, Grant, <laughs> uh, or he went to so-and-so, he must be good. Um, there's a lot more factors that I think at the end of the day are, are probably a little bit more important. Yeah, we're, we're this, I mean, when you say hungry, we say hustle. Um, I love guys who hustle, and you, and you find it, and, it's, and, it's, and Ted touched on it earlier, actually, people who don't have assets or a plan or funds or anything and are like, this is how we're going to execute this plan, and it's all hustle. Um, related to that, um, referrals are huge. I mean, we've benefited um, from referrals, and, and you have to go and ask for them. People don't like pay attention to everything you're doing all day and saying, oh, hey, I saw you applied to this program or this job, and I know someone that works there. Let me go out of my way and make a referral. You know, you guys have to go out, reach out to people, and say, hey, listen, I'm putting my name in the hat. I think uh, you know, a couple kind words from you would go a long way. And I know for us internally, they go. that's like number two on the list in terms of um, things that we look for. Yeah, I, I just love to see the kind of what Chris was saying, the, the hustle, but it's it's showing that you're doing something more than just what is asked for you. Like, the thing that always bothers me is when you tell somebody, hey, do this assignment, and they go, here you go, I did it, there you go. And it, it's kind of to that, like, thing I was saying before, you can only score 100 on a test in school and everything. It's like people who have certain elements of their resume that say, you know, I started this charitable organization, or sometimes I do this. It's the person who clearly does not clock in, clock out, get out of there, I did my time, thank you, you know, I got my paycheck sort of thing. It's it's the person who really is looking to show that, you know, when they're when they're going to turn in an assignment or work on a project, they're going to say, all right, I did everything you asked, I, I took care of that, but uh, have you thought of A, B, or C? And we might say, yeah, we did, and those are the worst ideas we've ever heard, but that's okay, thanks for, thanks for thinking of them because you see that person is kind of more vested, they, they're interested in what they're doing, and you know, they're always thinking, because the person who is just doing their job and that's it, you know, is gonna be, you know, in my mind, the biggest liability when trying to build a team and get everyone to do stuff, and when the going gets tough and everyone's back is against the wall and you need to, need to get a hit, uh, they're gonna be the person that strikes out, for sure. We had an intern this summer ask for a raise, don't be that guy. <laughs> Um, I, I can't really add much other than saying that we, at Go between Golden Coast Meat and Consumers Research, I've hired, um, I'm up to 12 full-time employees, and I've never once advertised a position. So if you're waiting for to see an advertised position from somewhere, uh, you, you're already competing with everybody who's an inbound lead. I would just say, if, if you're waiting for a phone call back, um, you're on the wrong side of the conversation. Uh, make the phone call yourself. I, th I think especially with a lot of these big corporations with the big HR programs, it's so easy just by mistake or by however, uh, your resume, your application can so easily get lost in the shuffle. Um, pick up the phone and call someone and leave a voicemail. I feel that these, um, these, these methods of communication are so underutilized because everyone just writes emails or sends text messages. Um, focus on the personal connection, and I think it's easier for that person then to see you in that role or hiring you. I think uh, there's a lot of buzzwords that go on now, and I, I think one of them is, is personal branding, right? Everyone says you gotta build your personal brand and make sure your personal brand is you know, a solid version of what you want people to perceive you as. You know, I'm curious, you know, your thoughts on personal branding and what you think kind of in this social media driven world, um, what you can do to make sure that you, you know, keep a good personal brand and you show really the best version of yourself. I always go to an Onion article. If you haven't seen it, please <laughs> Google, I am a brand, says pathetic man. Um, it's just, <laughs> so I always try to look at that article and I'm kind of thinking we'll, like, we'll well, what is the, the video. yeah, what is the Joe Colangelo brand? And then I go, look, let me go read that Onion article again. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's just it's being genuine for for Golden Coast Mead. It's it's highlighting how um, how close we are to nature and the 
and, and that's all driven by my partner, Frank. Even though I'm in charge of marketing, he is, he's, a, he's the biggest hippie in the world, and we've gotten inbound uh, fundraising requests, you know, a huge partnership with Whole Foods since we were just a little baby company um, and that we've maintained because he, he believes what he preaches. So it's just, it's like Mark Twain says, uh, uh, when in doubt, tell the truth. That's what everybody remembers. But the second half of that is, because then you don't remember who you told what. You don't have to remember who you told what to. Um, you know, being being yourself as corny as that is, uh, it just it's more efficient than seeking out uh, what the world wants you to be. Yeah, the big thing about personal branding is it is uh, you know what you show to the world is cool and everything, but at a certain point, if you're portraying a lifestyle or thoughts or something that isn't truly genuine, you know, it's going to show through at a certain point. So. It's, I wouldn't even focus about your personal brand. It's focus on, you know, personally what you are, who you are, what are your values, and just let everything echo off of that. Because if you're focused on your personal brand, your perception of what other people are thinking of, of you, um, you know, I think you start playing too many head games with yourselves and get too, you get too in, in, into a spiral sort of thing. And just focus on what's important, which is, your core of what you're trying to communicate out there and then kind of like what Joe said it will it will do the trick uh, for itself yeah I, I would add to that I think particularly in a um, smaller corporate environment where 60 people as an example um, the ideal the idea of a personal brand is the antithesis of the team player and we uh, we focus really hard on kind of getting everyone on board and when you have someone who's more worried about their own brand than the success of the firm, because the success of the firm should just by definition help your own brand, but they should work in that order. And I think the more uh, people focus on themselves, the more they're kind of missing the point. And I think that becomes pretty evident over time, especially uh, in, a, in a small organization. I would also say, um, and this is kind of, uh, said already but be genuine um it's it's uh it's very uneasy to not be yourself and i think as you get older um, it becomes even more uneasy to not be yourself be genuine be sympathetic um in 2008 during the financial crisis uh, a lot of our clients were having really tough years and uh, one thing we did was, uh, as a Christmas gift, we sent uh, a lot of clients, we sent them boxing gloves with the um, words uh, inscribed in them, um, it's been a tough year, but we're in your corner. Um, stuff like that, I think, to show your uh, compassion towards someone or a client or a customer does a lot more to helping your brand than um, posting pictures of yourself on Instagram or something like that. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, I think it's being genuine and authentic. Um, I got a lesson in personal branding, actually, and it was kind of a point I touched on earlier is that, you know, share yourself. Don't be overly self-promotional, but share yourself because there's people who want to support you and who are willing to reach out and help and or want to, you know, want to support you um, in terms of being a referral or something like that. Uh, cool. So um, I've done enough question asking here. Anybody, any questions from uh, the audience here? Anybody, for anybody up here? No? So Mike right over there. All right, not everyone at once. This is, it's for civilized here. How are we doing, guys? So at this stage in your careers, I think most people, well, at least people in my generation, a couple years younger than you, uh, are looking up to you, assume that with what you've done, there's no fear, there's a fearlessness. And I think the question that I'm wondering is, what has been a tr fear trigger? How have you overcome it? And what are you worried about today, uh, looking forward? I would just say, um, I can't speak for these guys, but there's a fear every single second of every single day. I think paranoia is one of the most motivating, um, one, of the mo one of the most motivating reasons why you get up and go to work every day because you're paranoid that someone's going to take market share from you or someone's going to do a better job. So I think paranoia in a lot of, for lack of a better word, is um, maybe kind of the healthy expression of fear. So I think, again, I can't speak 
for these guys, but there's a constant fear that someone's going to be better or someone's going to do a better job. Uh, and I think that's extremely motivating at the end of the day. Um, everybody always, everybody with kids that are older than mine or that, that have graduated college or high school always comes up to me and says, it goes so fast. And they have this sense of urgency, like they're almost, they're almost like talking to their younger self, like pay, like pay more attention, be more present. Uh, or you know, don't do what I did, and and that's that's my greatest fear on a daily basis is that I am traveling a lot. I'm, I'm working very hard, and every time that I'm doing work, I'm I'm saying to myself, um, this is important. I have to do this, and it's um, you know, I recently calculated the number of weekends I have left before my oldest goes to college, and it's something like 630, and I'm <laughs> like, wow, that's that is a finite number of weekends. So. Um, maybe that's that's a little depressing. I mean, I don't probably you're not here if, <laughs> if you have uh, kids. Maybe how long did that take? Know, but, uh, <laughs> one weekend. I actually, did it while two. I was answering the question. Right. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's, it's that thing, and that kind of plays into the rest of life. I just uh, I think my bi my biggest fear. I, nobody, I don't really operate in a market share environment um, for the products. We're we're growing a new category at this point, but the you know my fear is that I'm just gonna. Uh, fill up my bag of um, accomplishments and empty my bag of um, family fulfillment, maybe. Yeah, I, I think fear is, is great. It's awesome. It's uh, it's just about how you react when you get punched in the face, you know. Uh, who is that? Mike Dyson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face sort of thing. So it's about internalizing that and using that paranoia, uh, whatever it is that's shaking you and internalizing it and using that as a driving force because, you know, everybody, you're always going to have a problem and how badly it shakes you and how long you're shaking for is what's going to, I think, the, the difference maker between somebody who's successful and who's not. Um, a big driver for me are, are all tied to fear is accountability. Um, I find myself working harder and getting more things done when I'm accountable to other people. Um, and I am wildly competitive, and there is definitely a hit list of people who have wronged me or challenged me over the last couple years. Uh, and there's times where some of it's just that. Like, I want to do this job better just to kind of stick it to that guy. Um, I don't know why you're looking at me right now. I didn't <laughs> challenge you at all. Uh, <laughs> let's see, it's definitely not market share, um, although that sounds terrifying. Uh, Google is not a, certainly not a big fear-driven place. I would say um, in the kind of startup-y world, there's always going to be people that leave and, and take huge risks, and sometimes they ask you to come along on that ride. And um, you know, there's always the worry that you'll miss out on a, a, you know like a Snapchat. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of people that you know could have went and worked at Snapchat and were like, oh, I'm comfortable where I am. I don't want to do that. Um, and now they're probably sitting home kicking themselves. But um, yeah, I think that would be. Knowing when to leap um, is certainly something that I think about a lot. What else? We gotta have one more question here. Yeah, just line up. There's Mike um, there. Kind of building off that point for Chris Grant, what kind of is the breaking point where you have a very comfortable job, you're making a nice salary, you're comfortable where you are? What's that breaking point where you're ready to kind of make that leap of faith into your own new thing? and kind of go all head first into the water? Uh, that's a good question. I, it's, it's easier for me to answer maybe from the opposite way. I can tell you what, it, what isn't or what shouldn't be the breaking point. Um, and what shouldn't be the breaking point is uh, if, if, you're, if your friends are making more money than you, that shouldn't be the motivation to go try and do something different, because I, I really just don't think it matters for a long time. Um, Maybe to answer the question, uh, the first way that that you posed it, I, I think there comes a point, um, particularly when you've been at a job for a period of time, where you need to see some road to. I, I think you have to ask yourself: Is there one day in the future where I could run this place? And if the answer to that question is is no, um, no. Then no, well, <laughs> or, or run your group, or run your group, or run your team, or run something. Is, is there a day that I can see? Is there a path I can see 
where I'm in a position of leadership or a position of management. And I think if the answer to that question is no, then maybe it's time to start to find somewhere where that could be the case or could be a possibility. Um, but again, it's probably not a great answer, but it, it's kind of how I think about things. Um, I don't think there is a, <laughs> I don't think there's like a point in time where I was like, this is definitely the right time. Um, I knew that I didn't like doing what I was currently doing. And um, I'm like one of those dorks who has like kind of inspirational quotes around me all the time. And there was one article that was, uh, if you wouldn't do your job for free, then quit. And it circled around my head for a while. And then I just, you know, I quit on a Tuesday. Like it wasn't really premeditated. Um, I, knew I, <laughs> I, I knew I didn't want to do what I was doing. Um, didn't know if my leap was going to work, but um, kind of was in that position where I said, I'm not going to forget myself if I don't roll the dice at some point. So what's the difference between now or six months or a year or so? Uh, Nassim Taleb has this kind of uh, structure of anti-fragility, anti right? Um, and, and part of it is living is, is creating a system that the more chaos is introduced, uh, the stronger it becomes. And so it, it's kind of also that uh, the, the more you can do, I think we often discount the uh, upside of doing something that does not have a safety net, and we kind of uh, overestimate the downside of it. If you go and do something for 11 months and you have not made as much money as you would uh, somewhere else or where you had been for 11 months, and then that thing fails, you are not necessarily worse off uh, if you are building, as Chris has alluded to many times, soft assets uh, over that period. So my rule was always I will, uh, I will not make bets that can go to zero, um, that I can lose 100% of the value over the age of 30, but until then I will pursue uh, aggressively those bets and then uh, become but so so you can you can get you can fail at everything that you've tried at under 30 but if you uh, were I mean at, at any time really it depends on how much you take on over 30 but up until then if you fail at 10 things you are in a much better place than if you have kind of failed at one or so uh, introduce chaos into your life introduce kind of more randomness uh, Zuckerberg didn't say, I'm going to make Facebook and it's going to be a billion dollar company. He was coding things every single week and every month. And so the more randomness you have, the more projects that you're, you can attach yourself to, uh, the more likely that one of those things is going to be the next Snapchat. Uh, so, and it's not just that, it's networking, it's, it's interacting with people rather than staying at home and chaos. Yeah, good. Uh, I, I would also just add, I got a good piece of advice a long time ago from a father of a, of a, a fellow classmate. It was do it on the side. And then the beauty of doing a business on the side is eventually your salaries start to get close. And then once it kind of crosses, then you drop the other one. And you just don't, you don't start with nothing. You've got to build it up because it takes time to get, a, to get the things going. And it takes a lot of pieces to get in place until it's a real viable company. You know, you don't want to save all your money to I've done this, uh, save all your money, quit your job, try something and start from scratch. You kind of want to build it up over time. So I was just going to add, um, don't confuse expert advice with good advice. Uh, there's, um, I'm going to butcher this quote, but I think it's from Bill Buckley, who said he'd rather be governed by the first 200 names in the Boston phone book than the faculty at Harvard. Um, and I think there's some truth to that. There's a lot of expert advice out there. Uh, not all of it is very good. Um, kind of focus on making your own path. And I, I think the other thing that is, is worth talking about, you know, if, if you want to go to a career in finance or a career in technology, um, learn about everything, not just finance or technology. Read, read history, read English. Uh, these are all things that I uh, think can separate you from your competitors or your peers when you can draw on history or draw on um, draw on literature, so on and so forth. Um, the, the, the more, uh, I think in a lot of ways, um, the more well-rounded you are in, in some respects, the more conversations you could have with someone about a lot of different things uh, can be pretty useful.
only as an individual or as the organization you're part of where um, a lot of people think that you know, as an entrepreneur, you're, you're kind of built this model, and then once it hits, you're going to put everything behind it, right? Um, what are your thoughts, I guess, on you know, in your career as kind of like, you know, once you feel you found something that's really working, putting all the chips in on that versus kind of exploring and spreading out? Um, and how, I guess, maybe more for you, Ryan, how do you feel that like, the organization encourages uh, its team members to continue to experiment and, and not um, you know, overload what's working? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm super lucky that, you know, I landed here because you know, certainly moving around internally and even externally, people are very comfortable with. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's perfectly normal and natural here to go around and interview at different parts of the company. And it's, it's such a huge organization that has its hand in so many things that, you know, you're, 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 you're very much encouraged if you're interested in something that's completely, you know, divergent from what you're doing right now to, to go and try it. And I, I don't know that um, every sector is kind of like that. Um, I don't know much about finance or, or banking, but from what I've heard, I think it's a little bit more um, risk averse to move around internally. But uh, certainly in, in the tech world, it's it's you know you're very you're you're, you're encouraged to kind of explore different things because in the end, it makes you just a more well-rounded kind of employee, and I think that's super important here. Uh, we're always kicking around ideas. Um, a lot of, I mean, almost exclusively, they're all based on things that me and my partners and other people that we bring in have learned over the last number of years, and, and you know, those times where we have tripped and messed things up and learned from them. Um, I mean, we are always reprioritizing what we think is the most compelling opportunity, both on an emotional level, things we want to work on, but also financial. Um, but yeah, I mean, we—I think we've had ideas that have been in the cooker for five years that get brought up every six months, um, and we just decide whether or not to move forward with them or not. So, I don't know if there's like a, a hard and fast rule, at least internally, about picking and choosing what goes when. Cool. Any other questions? Well, so it's, it's time now, but I, I want to ask everyone up here, kind of—you know—we talked about being a mentor before, but you know. Are you available to take on an email or call or a handwritten letter uh, and be and kind of help help people out, um, you know, from the community? Is that something that you're comfortable, you know, put attaching your name to? Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Of course. Yep. So I think the message here then is, you know, reach out, right? And not just to the people on the stage. Uh, obviously, you can reach out to me too. Um, but reach out to your classmates. You know, networking is is super important, and you know, Del Barton is a small group of pretty great individuals. So you know, you're gonna if you network the right way, you're gonna make sure that you know your connections are broad, and you'll be able to help yourself out in the future or help a friend out. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's that's that's what Del Barton's all about. So you know, make sure you pass it on to everybody else. But yeah, thanks guys. Thanks guys for coming. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Ryan. Thanks, real, Ryan. Real quick, I want to thank Ryan. This was his brainchild from the beginning to um, kind of take this idea and, and run with it. Um, one of the big takeaways that we wanted to leave today with is is letting everyone in this crowd and everyone watching and, and even kind of further down the road that um, these sort of things can happen organically. This this was just an idea that Ryan came up with, and, and now we're all sitting here. So we'd welcome all of you guys. You know, if you have an idea for two people, five people, eighty people, hundred people. Um, empower the network that you're a part of. Um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to share an idea because I think what we learned is that um, you know there's a lot of people who want to get behind these things. Um, big thanks to Ryan again for having us. Grant, I, I would just add to that. Don't forget how special the DeBarton community is. I have friends who went to good high schools and good colleges who are so jealous of this because it just didn't exist where, where they went. And I don't think we should take this for granted for even one second. Um, we were fortunate to go to a great high school, and uh, it's nice knowing you can look to the person next to you and you can count on them uh, if you need them. Cool. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for coming, too. Thanks. Thanks. This is just unbelievable what you guys put together tonight. This is awesome. You know, I've been in the alumni office now for 28 years, and 
always are looking for new ideas, but for you guys to come up with this, this concept, guys, this is what we're looking for. I mean, uh, uh, give these guys a, a round of applause again. This is amazing. And I want you all, I want you all to send an email to your friends, classmates who weren't here tonight because this was streamed and they can watch this and you can watch it again. And I, I encourage you to watch it again, to listen to what these guys have to say. But guys, I, just on behalf of the school, this is what we're trying to build with the Alumni Association and the school and you guys have done a tremendous job. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks,